Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 830. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show at noon today, Washington, D.C. time, a new president will be sworn in, and Mississippians are in Washington. Some are celebrating while others are voicing concern. Uh, I'm looking forward to a new set of priorities in our country, putting our country first again. Dismantling the Affordable Care Act. In terms of this, that is something that's affecting, right, men and women in the larger community. And we'll have an update on the Cleveland schools desegregation. Plus, hear from a Mississippi band preparing to march in the inaugural parade. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Less than four hours, Donald Trump will become the 45th president of the United States. Throughout the show today, we'll hear from Mississippians who have made the journey to Washington, D.C. to acknowledge the inauguration. Many are celebrating either Trump himself or the historic spectacle that is the inauguration of any U.S. president. Others are raising concerns about the incoming president's policies and practices. Representative Andy Gibson is a Republican state legislator from Braxton in Simpson County. He and Senator Joey Filling have been selected to represent the Mississippi legislature at the inauguration. Gibson tells MPB's Ezra Wall he's excited for the opportunity. Yeah, well, it's a great honor, and I just want to thank the governor, uh, Governor Phil Bryant, for appointing me to to serve in that capacity on the Mississippi Presidential Inaugural Committee. Uh, I will be attending, uh, along with uh, several other members of that committee, a member from the Senate also, and uh, we're going to be there uh, representing the state of Mississippi uh, at the uh, inauguration of President-elect Trump and Vice President-elect Mike Pence. Um, looking forward to it, looking forward to the the ceremony itself and uh, the, the surrounding uh, activities. And I hope uh, and, and expect to get to meet uh, our president at the uh, at the appointed time. Talk a little bit about the uh, about uh, there were a lot of a lot of people vying for Republican attention here in Mississippi during the lead up to the election uh, dur- during the primary campaign. That is, uh, were you a were you a Trump supporter uh, from from the get go? You know, I was a Trump supporter. Uh, I I uh, uh, helped work for Mr. Trump uh, during the general election process, and uh, I of course. Uh, 
uh, the, uh, Donald Trump won Mississippi ha- handily, but uh, I I wasn't vying for attention. If you know, I, some people may have been. I wasn't doing that. I just was uh, working to get uh, a Republican elected to the to the White House. Um, and frankly, uh, was uh, surprised, pleasantly surprised, that uh, Donald Trump won the uh, the 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 typically uh, leaning Democrat states that he won up there in Michigan and Wisconsin and, and uh, Pennsylvania. And I have to say, uh, to, to thank all those from Mississippi who worked uh, the campaign across the, those states, including our own governor, went up and campaigned in Pennsylvania, I think the day before the election. So, uh, you know, nothing special about me. I just consider it a high honor to be uh, named to, to serve in this capacity. Yes, sir. And and to clarify, my vying for attention comment was about the presidential candidates vying for the attention of, of uh, Mississippi voters. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, they were. And, and, and Donald Trump came to Mississippi and as did some other ones. And, uh, you know, we uh, we had a lot of uh, healthy debate during the primary season. And once all that dust settled uh, here in Mississippi, uh, we Republicans got behind our nominee and and the rest is history. So it's a great day. I'm excited about uh, the start of a new administration and uh, getting our country back on track. So what are you what are you looking forward to uh, the most uh, from a from a Donald Trump presidency, from a Trump administration? Well, uh, I'm looking forward to uh, a new set of priorities in our country. uh, and, And to to summarize it, you know, putting our country uh, first again and not bowing down to these foreign interests, uh, as has been the case for for such a long time. And I think people are ready for a a breath of fresh air on that front, looking forward to uh, his uh, economic uh, uh, policies to see what what sorts of uh, growth we can have in our economy. I think that the the so-called Trump bump in the post-election has been a surprise to a lot of people. But let's face it, we we do have a businessman now who's going to be occupying the White House, and uh, a lot of the skills he has, uh, I'm, I'm very excited to looking to see those implemented uh, uh, for the growth of America's economy. And uh, how that's going to impact Mississippi in a positive way. In the South, we're used to a, a certain amount of gentility in the way people communicate with each other. Do you do you have any pause about the way the president-elect from time to time uh, chooses to communicate? Well, you know, he communicates the way he communicates, and it, it may not be the way I would communicate, but... Uh, yeah, he certainly uh, has uh, found a way that to, to get his message across, and uh, he may use Twitter a little more than I would. Uh, but uh, you know, he's, he is being successful, and I think people see that he's being successful in getting his message across over the hey, it's Peter heads of the typical press core, uh, you know, that surround the president. And, and, and I think he would say they may put a spin on what he says, and he's just putting it out there. And I think people uh, appreciate the freshness of that. And I'm sure he'll get uh, he'll get uh, more skilled at it as time goes along. Well, Representative Andy Gibson is representing the Mississippi House of, Repre- uh, House of Representatives uh, at the inauguration uh, this week. Uh, Representative Gibson, enjoy the festivities and uh, make it safely back to Mississippi. And thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. And we'll talk to you when I return. Thanks.
Teresa Starkey teaches gender studies at the University of Mississippi. She is in the nation's capital to attend Saturday's Women's March on Washington. She acknowledges the historic nature of the inauguration, but says she wants to stand with other women who may have felt marginalized by some of the rhetoric during the presidential campaign. In particular, Starkey says the conversation that revolved around sexual assault hit close to home. She talks to correspondent Matt Kessler. Just like President Trump's election is this historical moment, this uh, Women's March is also a historical moment. And it's to be part of this historical moment and to be part of something that is much larger than myself, but then also on the same level, something incredibly deeply personal because there are multiple um, reasons, personal reasons that um, make me want to go. Could you talk about those reasons? One, in terms of watching the election, that uh, things that were very upsetting to me was the way in which, uh, first of all, how sexual assault was um, treated and talked about. Uh, And I know that I'm one of the many women who feel and felt that way in terms of watching it. I know from just reading the different papers and and hearing um, radio broadcasts that it actually raised, right, memories for um, women about their own experiences and that I can say that this actually is the same for me as well. I was a 14-year-old girl that was growing up in North Georgia and um, I was sexually assaulted. And that was something that I've never talked about. It's something that I don't, um, that I think I spent a lot of time trying to run away from that. And um, and that came up for me. And it came up for me because in some respect, the subject itself <laughs> in different moments became comical to people. And for me, it was the idea that... Um, a woman could be sexually assaulted, but you would question it because of perhaps her appearance or her reputation and these ty- these types of factors. And um, for me, when I was that 14-year-old girl after it happened, I remember leaving the house and hearing the laughter following behind me because of what was done was thought of as a point of humor or a joke, and I can see that 14-year-old girl, my former self, running beneath the lamplight with my hooded puffer jacket zipped up tight, running on a winter night crying. Could you talk about how some of President-elect Trump's proposed policies might affect females? There are a couple of different ways. Um, One is the idea of defunding Planned Parenthood. Whether or not you're pro-life or pro-choice, right? Planned Parenthood offers women a resource in terms of thinking about getting services that are affordable, whether it is in terms of thinking about contraception or it's thinking about getting essential screenings, right, such as breast exams. Um, These are services that um, are often difficult for women to be able to sort of access, and so it's a resource there. So if we think about that and what does that mean in terms of thinking about the vulnerable, right, in our community, um, what might that do? If we couple that with, say, 
dismantling the Affordable Care Act, well, then how might this not only affect women, but how might it affect women, mothers, their children, right, family, right? And and in terms of this, that is something that's affecting, right, men and women in the larger community. What do you think the value of, of marching will be? What do you hope to achieve in D.C.? Um, as I said, one of the things that I feel like I'm marching for is that 14-year-old girl that I never gave voice to, right? That's one. The other is, um, uh, as I said before, it's personal for me. It's um, personal because I'm also marching for my mother, um, my brother, and my sister, um, who are Muslim-American. And I think about them and the, poten- and the anxiety that they right, feel uh, so I'm there for them as well. And I also am marching because I uh, think that um, although that our social fabric is complex, that there are these incredible moments in which we can all come together, and I've seen it. I, I think that we um, are more. Teresa Starkey with correspondent Matt Kessler. Coming up, Matt reports on the Tupelo High School Band as they prepare to march in the inaugural parade. But first, an update on the desegregation case in the Cleveland schools. That's next. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This week on This American Life. We are in a GMC pickup. Uh, My dad's driving. Eric's 22, moving to D.C. to take a job for a newly elected congressman. And like a lot of Republicans right now, he is pretty stoked. The Republicans for... All of my lifetime have been fighting for an opportunity such as this. We best not screw it up. Inauguration this week. Tomorrow at 3 on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Efforts to desegregate and consolidate the Cleveland School District are once again on hold. This week, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals issued a stay of U.S. District Judge Deborah Brown's May 2016 order to consolidate the city's two middle schools and two high schools. The school board requested the stay in July as it worked on several plans of its own. Sherry Shepard is a Cleveland parent and an education advocate. She tells MPB's Desiree Frazier... Parents in the district are frustrated with all the delays. The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals issued a stay of Judge Brown's May 13th order on yesterday. And in addition, they denied a request from the Department of Justice to expedite um, the hearing relative to that case. So that represents a loss for about 3,700 students in the Cleveland School District that have now been put on hold from uh, experiencing the quality learning experiences that they would in a consolidated school environment. Obviously, you're not happy about this. It's only one part of the war. They have been successful in the battle, but uh, it's sort of backfiring because there are grave implications as to the state. As you are aware, the students on last, uh, a couple of weeks ago, voted on a new name, mascot, and colors for their new school. And the students are poised to move forward in implementing a consolidated school concept. The Mississippi High School Activities Association as well has reclassified our school as a 5A school. 
So now that we are held in limbo, there is a potential that our students won't be able to participate in extracurricular and athletic activities based on what move the district makes moving forward. What are you hearing from parents about this? Parents are upset. Parents are ready to move forward. Parents feel that the school board is uh, using their positions to cram down our throats what their personal wishes are. We are looking at what's best for all students in the Cleveland School District, the black and the white. Parents feel that the district and the school board are only concerned about white flight at the expense of our black kids, and that is just not fair. Well, we want to be considered equal players in the decisions that impact those our students. That has never happened. The district has never come to us and engaged us across the table in any active discussion. We are having to go to the board to force them to hear us. Can we go back and would you just explain what the judge's order said? The judge's order called for the consolidation of the secondary schools by having uh, grades 6th, 7th, and 8th at Eastside High School campus and grades 9, 10, 11, 12 at the Cleveland High Market Green campus. There have been several plans that have been brought up. Some have been turned down. Uh, some There seem to be some movement or attempt to agree on. Where are we right now with this? Uh, what happens next? Actually, there were three plans initially in the court, and those were the three plans under which Judge Brown made her decision. Two plans were submitted by the school district, One plan was submitted by the DOJ on behalf of us. Judge Brown ruled the two plans submitted by the school district to be unconstitutional. That's why the DOJ's, uh, which we call the third plan, was accepted by the court. I just explained what that entailed. It entailed consolidation with uh, lower um, secondary students being housed at Eastside and the upper secondary students being housed on the Cleveland High uh, Margaret Green campuses. Since then, the district, since they lost in court, have um, decided that they wanted to submit their own plan. So they have submitted two plans subsequent to the close of court. The first plan that they submitted after court was a plan to close the black schools and leave the white schools open. That represented an insult to all of the black stakeholders and students in the Cleveland community. Our students have suffered for 62 years. Enough is enough. All we're asking them to do is to do what's best for all students in Cleveland. Now they have sent this stay to the Fifth Circuit Court claiming that they are suffering irreparable harm because they lost 28 white students. They are only concerned about the needs of white students, and we're trying to get them to say that we need to be concerned about the needs of all students so that we can provide all of them 21st century learning opportunities, and that's all we're asking for. Cleveland parent and education advocate Sherry Shepard with our Desiree Frazier. The Tupelo Marching Band prepares for the inaugural parade. We'll hear from them next. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you're a sustaining member of MPB Think Radio, we appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. On January 9th, 1861, 
Delegates to Mississippi's secession convention voted to sever all ties with the United States. The delegates tell us why in a declaration written to make their purpose clear. Our position is thoroughly identified with the institution of slavery, the greatest material interest of the world. Its labor supplies the product which constitutes by far the largest and most important portions of commerce. A blow at slavery is a blow at commerce and civilization. There was no choice left us but the disillusion of the Union. For the next four years, Mississippians would fight the bloodiest war in American history. By the end, Mississippi's cities and economy would lie in ruins. But Mississippi slaves would be free. This has been Mississippi, a thread through time. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The Tupelo High School Marching Band will be one of seven high school bands from around the country marching in the inaugural parade for President Donald Trump. Correspondent Matt Kessler reports on the excitement and the anticipation as the students prepared for their trip to Washington, D.C. As the rain pours outside Tupelo High School earlier this week, the 168 members of the high school marching band line up in the parking lot next to the football stadium with their drums, tubas, trumpets, and saxophones. They've been practicing for three hours indoors, and now they must play outside, in the dark, to prepare for President-elect Donald Trump's inaugural parade. They march in place and wait for band leader Rick Murphy to give the signal. He points, and the drum roll begins. Murphy knew the band's chances were slim when he applied online to the Presidential Parade Committee in November. Then, on December 20th, Senator Roger Wicker called. Yeah, I was standing in my kitchen at home, and uh, he called and said, Mr. Murphy, this is Senator Wicker, and I have great news for you. You've been included in the inaugural parade, and he was very, very happy about it. It wasn't the first call Murphy received that day. Well, to be very honest, a, a staffer in Washington had already called me when I was in the grocery store right before he called and let the cat out of the bag. So immediately, as soon as I got the staffer call, I kind of took a deep breath, stopped right in the middle of the meat section is where I was, and then I called the band booster president and alerted her that this is going to happen and we're going to have to get this thing moving. Leslie Williams is a 15-year-old alto saxophone player. She also remembers where she was when she heard the good news. I was actually at home with my parents, and when I got the call that I needed to come up here and do all the paperwork for me to go, I was actually very happy because this is such a big moment for the band, and I feel that everyone is going to do great, so it was a great moment. The Tupelo Marching Band is one of the best high school bands in the state, racking up trophies in both marching and concert band competitions. Leslie thinks people might not realize just how much hard work goes into it. Everyone here puts in a lot of work to make the band as great as it is and as almost as perfect as it is. We've been having after school practice. Everyone has been working really hard to remember their music, stay in step, and keep their lines straight. Rick Murphy has taught band for 37 years. This will be his first time performing at an inaugural parade. Although thrilled, he admits the logistics have been difficult. The Secret Service vetted all 168 students, and the school had to raise $110,000 in just one month to cover traveling expenses. On Friday, the band will march two and a half miles, a much longer route than usual. They had hoped to march for an hour on this day to prepare, but the rain got in the way. Senior Kyle Woodward is the drum major and band captain. This will be his last year playing with the band. I'm just, I'm thrilled. It's, it's hard to put it in the words how excited I am because it's just, it's such a once in a lifetime opportunity, not just for me, but for the band as a whole. 
believes this will be a memory that he'll tell his grandkids about. I think it will be uh, something that everyone in the band can remember for the rest of their lives, that they can tell their grandchildren, and their grandchildren can pass it on, say, hey, my grandfather marched in the inauguration parade. For MPB News, I'm Matt Kessler. for special programming throughout the day. The swearing-in ceremony is expected to start at 10.30 Central Standard Time with Chief Justice John Roberts administering the oath of office around 11 o'clock. That's followed by President Trump's inaugural address. NPR Steve Inskeep and Audie Cornish will host the inaugural events coming up next at 9 o'clock here on MPB Think Radio. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB public media app in any mobile store. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again Monday morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio. It's Marketplace Tech for January 20th. I'm Ben Johnson in New York. It's Friday, so you know what time it is. Silicon Tally time. Tracy Chow, software engineer.